Right, we're just a few weeks away from our first ever live edition of the Race F1 podcast on February 12th. So far, we've got a great venue, King's Place in London, as part of Pod Live. We've got me to host, Scott Mitchell Malm to give lengthy answers, and a very special guest in Ted Kravitz. So, Ted, we've got to work out what we're going to talk about. What's there to look forward to in 2023 that we can get into in the live show, do you think? Let me start by telling you a story about Murray Walker. There you go. Good start. Um, he always used to say at the beginning of a season, you know, Formula One has an amazing ability of reinventing itself year by year. And I used to think it's a funny thing to say, but you know, the more I think about it, the more he's right. And even though we don't have new cars this year, right, slightly different with the race, bright height, blah, blah, new tyres, we do have so many other new things that are worth talking about. We've got new drivers, we've got rookies, it's more than one, a couple of rookies, and we've got new team bosses. That's what I'm all also looking forward to to seeing how that's all going to work and then of course we've got the small matter of the world championship will we be at the end of 2023 talking about max verstappen a three-time world champion there's loads of stuff to look forward to this season that's going to fill about 40 minutes of our 75 minutes scott can your song and dance routine fill the rest um it probably could if you would um if you would unshackle me and just let me you know have have full uh, creative license on it Part of it for me that I think we can get into really nicely is the subjects of rivalries, old and new, because I would like to think we're going to see some familiar fights in 2023, but we're also going to see some new ones as well. I'm really optimistic about that. So I think that's a good subject for us to get into. And obviously it won't just be us. Maybe we'll uh, have a few interesting insights from our audience as well. Well, this is great. The running order is coming together very, very well. I think we've got to have some kind of audience interaction. We'll definitely have a few questions. We'll have a few bits of feedback from the audience. Ted, do you know anyone who's handy with a microphone who's good at doing a bit of broadcasting moving around because we could do with someone who could go out among the people well what are we february the 12th is it going to be warm enough for shorts yes of course it'll be warm enough for shorts i'll bring my pink shirt and my shorts on and i'll get down there with a the microphone and of course i think we should also hang around a bit at the end say hello to a few people will there be the chance ted to give a few autographs definitely does anyone actually ask for autographs anymore but um yeah no we can uh, we can go and meet everybody and say hello yeah, it's going to be great. All part of Sport Pod Live, live podcast festival. We're there on February the 12th. That's a Sunday. Nice early afternoon slot. So if you're an F1 fan, it's just going to be a great event to come to. Hopefully we've got so much to talk about. We're going to struggle to fit it all in. So to get your tickets, head to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. That's sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. Get your tickets and we will see you there. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ford will return to Formula One in 2026 in a newly announced partnership with Red Bull. But how will the deal actually work? What does it mean for F1? And what's next for Honda? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to explain all are Scott Mitchell Mal and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, great excitement. Red Bull RB19, the first 2023 car. You must have been thrilled with all the technical details we saw. <laughs> Yeah, could have, could have sworn it was last year's car, but um, there you go. Maybe they're just running the same car this year because it was so easy for them last year. Um, yeah, it was very showbiz, wasn't it? it the whole thing was just about um, – it was very sort of – don't wish to denigrate it, but it was very American in its its, its emphasis on the glitz and the glamour. Um, but there wasn't very much content there. And uh, in terms – obviously there was a – very big bit of content in the confirmation of the Ford announcement, which is presumably why it was in America in the first place. But in terms of uh, any detail about what the new car might be, um, we're, we're no further forward than we were 24 hours ago. 
that was at least what we expected going into this. But I do feel a little bit sorry for all the fans who were sold this as a launch and tune. And there were 115,000 odd on the stream uh, when I looked at the the numbers during it. So uh, I'm not that keen on them misrepresenting what they're doing. I think that's a little bit disrespectful to the fan base. Scott, what did you make of it? Well, it's just disingenuous, isn't it? When you um, when you have that uh, when you're claiming it's the RB19, that that's the thing that I dislike. Just just don't just don't lie. Like it's the RB19's livery, um, and this is the thing that I, I I found sort of really struck me about halfway through the launch. I was sort of thinking we're sitting through some stuff that the vast majority. I'm not saying there won't be anyone that enjoyed it, but there'll be the vast majority aren't there to to hear what a lot of that launch was to see a car that's been mislabeled as the RB19 because it because it just isn't the 2023 Red Bull um to see a livery essentially that's all it was but it's a livery for, that's well established and isn't going to be um anything special it's going to be a Red Bull livery which is uh, and it, all credit to the to the Red Bull brand because it's it's very definitive and 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 striking you might say iconic those those colours and and that scheme. Um, that's a, that's good. That's a testament to the Red Bull brand. But it means that a livery reveal for them just isn't going to be exciting. In the same way that if Ferrari just pulls the cover off a a car at Maranello, and it's not the real car, you get it's just going to what shade of red and black is it this year? Like it's not it, it's not that interesting if it's just that. So disappointing. Um, for for a few reasons, but um, when when we did a piece on the on the website, uh, which was sort of about like what we want to see from a launch, the big thing for me was that you make sure that everyone gets something out of it, and I just felt like a lot of that, a lot of that event just seemed to be do it for the sake of it because it probably makes some partners happy. That's kind of obviously it was a great advert for the Red Bull brand, which I'm sure is a massive, massive incentive for them. And ultimately, they can spend their time and money however they want. Uh, I just, it was just ironic. I felt that at some point in that long, long, long broadcast, there was a reference to Red Bull putting the fans first, and it just felt that that launch was anything but putting the fans first. Yeah, that's what frustrates me about certain aspects of not just what Red Bull do, but Formula One actually in general. It's one of the reasons why I have concerns with Drive to Survive when it misrepresents certain things in Formula One. It's great that it gets people interested in Formula One, but you should be being honest about what you're showing them. That's really, really important. Otherwise, it just seems to me to be showing a lack of respect. I don't want to position myself as the voice of F1 fans or anything because I'm not. I'm a journalist. I know my perspective is a little bit different, but it seems to me that if you're going to talk up how important your fans are, particularly with teams building their fan bases, you should be honest with them and ideally not subject them to 10 minutes of unrelated other Red Bull athletes talking about what they're doing. I'm sure all very accomplished at what they do, but just not really relevant. And I think that's the the thing that, that really gets to me. You, know, you can hold these events, you can hold a season launch event as Williams is going to do on Monday, but it's not going to be purporting to be showing their car. It'll just be a, a livery. So I think it's important to do that it was the same with Haas wasn't it Haas made it very very clear that what they were doing was um, revealing the livery yeah I think it is also a little bit problematic when it comes to launches as a whole because so many times I see people say oh you never see anything of the actual car and actually that's not true yeah some launches are like this and there's nothing to do with the real car just as Red Bulls was last year some launches you do get the full real car there in person some you get accurate renders some you get renders with a few key details missed but there are real things you can look at 
in the car in launches that you can draw some little preliminary conclusions from and tell these technical stories that F1's always bleating about how important they are, yet the teams and F1 as a whole seem to make very, very little effort ever to do. I know I'm getting on a soapbox here, but it does annoy me. This time of year, Mark, is great for a showcase for Formula 1 and the technology, and it just seems to be kind of squandered with just so much fluff. Yeah, and I think in this case, they just tried to do too many things in one event, and they tried to make it the you know, make it feel as though it might be the launch of the car. Um, and, you know, with the, there were banners saying RB19 everywhere. And, you know, there wasn't an RB19 to be seen. And there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, making a big song and dance about this epic bit of news that they've, you know, they've joined up from 2026 with um, one of the automotive giants, an American-based company, and... Sure, nothing wrong with that, and and send all the the, the the fireworks up into the sky and and have all that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine, but don't dress it up as something else. That the other with with the other the core part of the, the the Formula One fandom still wants to know some 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 meat, some meat on the bones, and that wasn't what today was. The the, the bottom line the bottom line is that they did they did everything except launch a car. And when you do, uh, whether you're calling it a car launch or a season launch, when you're advertising it, in you're, they were advertising a car launch in some capacity, like like Mark said, banners saying RB19. They made it really clear. They they, they even explicitly stated they'd revealed the RB19. So it's just, come on, it it isn't. And you had it's not that it's not like oh you had one job and you didn't do it, but it's just it is a key part of a car launch to launch a car. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it probably is, as Mark suggested, trying to be all things to all people. You want a corporate event, you want to appeal to the US audience, et cetera, et cetera. You want to appeal to your audience back home, those who are interested in the cars, et cetera. But yeah, just be completely honest about it. And it's really important, I think, when you're pushing for new fans. Yes, the, the existing fans have to be treated with respect as well. But I do think we talk about the new fans and the American interest, et cetera. Well, be authentic with what you're showing them. That is really, really important because they will recognize quite quickly if they're being misled and that's why it's just important not to to take this lightly will, will there be um just a a show model or the real thing of ed straw when we do the race live podcast well that's a good question people will only really know the answer to that when the wraps are taken off obviously i'll be uh, undercover at all times audience research has shown that it's better when i'm undercover because people would probably rather not see me so that's why podcasting's ideal for me but live podcasts are a bit different but yes it will be the authentic 2023 spec me at least so that's uh, that's something looking low down force at the moment Yep, I went with a little bit of a, a little bit of a haircut i was at the race media awards the other day so i thought well i better Make some vague attempt to look uh, look halfway uh, halfway tidy and respectable and sensible, but uh, whether I succeeded in that is another matter. But the really good news is, as Mark said, Ford big announcement, and we do have launch events coming up in the next couple of weeks where we will see real cars, and we won't open up the podcast complaining about the events. But I think that Formula One teams need to be uh, need to be pushed to improve their launches where possible, and I do think that this Red Bull one was a particularly bad example of the genre but let's get into it mark because red bull and f1 have made a huge song and dance about this ford link up so why is it so significant should f1 fans around the world be running a stars and stripes up the flagpole in celebration <laughs> it's um the way ford have done it is um is not um with both feet and that never has been the way they've done it they're f1 
involvement stretches back many decades on and off but um it's it's still highly significant it's um it illustrates the the, the pull that the uh, re-energized Formula One has got with the automotives, and then this is one of the the, the, the biggest, of course. And um, it's very, very significant for Red Bull as well in in terms of uh, well, from twenty six onwards, because you know we, we reading between the lines, they, were, they, they still haven't resolved at Honda whether they were going to be in or out from twenty six onwards. There's two two different opposing camps there um and red bull can't hang around to wait to find out if if the answer is eventually going to be no so they've now got in place someone that um that may be uh, contributing some technical um input with the urs will treat that with a pinch of salt for now but i wouldn't write it off it, it, may, it may it may come to be um but more significantly they've got um a very big sponsor and a very prestigious sponsor and you know the 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 whole thing about setting up Red Bull powertrains so that they had destiny in their own hands um, is now is you know that that's, that's this is this is a perfect um, justification for it. They've, they've now got a competitor. Hopefully, the, the competitiveness it will be in their own hands. It's not relying on somebody else. It's not relying on the whim of a, a corporate board somewhere. And they get um, a good income from it in exchange for the uh, the, the the rights on the, the naming rights. Yeah, and you mentioned the strategy for Red Bull there. This is exactly having their cake and, and eating it, isn't it? In that they haven't had to give up control, they haven't had to sell bits. They've got control of their engine manufacturing. They've got the big partner with the money. That's ideal, isn't it, Scott? Even though you can't help but think they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble if they just bought Cosworth off Ford in the first place when they bought the team way back at the end of 2004. <laughs> yeah, it, is, um, I, it does amuse me that there, there has been this reunion in this form. And uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, stating at every possible opportunity and the, the stuff that we wrote around this, that um, actually you've got that... Um, slightly entangled F1 history between Ford and Red Bull going right back to the mid-1990s and, and, and Sauber, when Sauber was majority owned by Red Bull and, and it was Ford's works team. So it's quite funny that they they seem sort of intertwined so much. But I think it's um I think it's good I think it's good for both of them because I genuinely think they're both the perfect partner for what kind of deal each of them wanted. Red Bull wanted Ribble were happy to have a manufacturer on board, but it basically had to be on Ribble's terms. Pay a load of money, we'll, get, we'll let you call it the engine in your name, and if you can put a little bit of technical input in, great, but the majority of this is going to be done by powertrains. We're set up to build an engine, and but you do it all on our terms, basically. And there aren't many automotive manufacturers that be willing to do that, partly because... Now, as Mark said, we take with a pinch of salt that Ford will have an input, but even if it's only a limited input, most manufacturers, I think, would think twice about just claiming someone else's technology as their own. Um, with Ford, they wanted to come back into Formula One, but they wanted to do it in a right way, in, in, in a way that actually sort of made sense, was justifiable, and, and was sustainable and affordable. And 
a, a full works team isn't the way to do that. Even a full engine project isn't the way to do that. Look at how much money Honda has spent hundreds of millions of dollars a year for the last, what, seven or eight years now. Um, but th there was this unique opportunity for Ford where you have an independent engine manufacturer being set up, which is such a such an unusual thing to exist in Formula One because they are normally automotive manufacturers that build the engines. So there's no rival there for them to 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 part uh, to partner up with. So it's okay for them to basically put their sticker on something else because it's not like they're saying, "Oh, this Ferrari engine's really a Ford engine." There's no there's no inherent competition there. So that's great from Ford's perspective. You've got a ready-made facility to slap your sticker on, try and put some money into, part fund, try and have some technical input too. That's great. And Ribble, you've got a, I don't want to say like subservient partner, but you've got a partner that respects the fact that they come in on, on your terms. And I don't see any other scenario that would offer Ford what Ribble can offer Ford. And I don't really see any other type of manufacturer that'd be willing to to, to accept what Red Bull is, is imposing. So from that point of view, it's I, I hate using the word like synergy or mutually beneficial or anything like that, but it is. I think they I think they might be the only two partners that would tick the boxes that the other one had sort of outlined. Yeah, it's a good point, Doug Scott. And the also the 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 other interesting thing is about the the numbers. If 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 we're to believe what we're hearing from inside, it's it's in the order of Thirty million a year dollars that um, Ford is uh, is paying, um, and you compare that to Audi, who's reportedly paid six hundred million dollars to buy Sauber. It sounds like the bargain of the century, um, even given the fact that they're only partnering rather than owning. But then you think back to when Mercedes <laughs> bought Braun in two thousand and nine, not all that long ago, um, for around one hundred and seventy five. And then sold two thirds of it for more than that. They made a profit of that, and they now, if if because obviously the, the the Bricksworth part, the, the engine manufacturing facility costs money, uh, uh, and the the Brackley part makes money as the team. And when you um, subtract one from the other, it's in the order of sixty million a year that it's it's costing them. So. Compared to that, you're thinking, well, Ford's paying 50% as much as Mercedes, but only has a share in a team. Um, so in between those two extremes, and also, of course, that's a little bit misleading because in that intervening time, Mercedes invests an awful lot of money in upgrading facilities and, and, and keeping keeping up with it and, and you know setting the standards. But it's still economically it, you can you can look at it from either side the, the either side of the the divide and it, it can look either fantastic value or um you can come back to why just didn't they as you said earlier on why didn't they buy the team you know why why didn't they keep the team and and Bosworth back in the day when it was all cheap what what I like about it and we we sort of touched on it a, a little bit there is that I think it shows to me that there there isn't one way for a manufacturer to do F1. Like I don't think there ever has been really. You've, you've got your traditional works team, but um, even the even the works teams now, like they, you, with the exception of Ferrari, you can you can argue are actually any of them 
works teams. With Renault, you've got a race team that's basically contracted in England, but the engine's being built in France. With Mercedes, you've got a race team facility in the UK and an, and an engine facility in the UK, and then you've got Daimler out 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 in Germany. How actually integrated is? Well, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate there, but you so you can poke holes holes in almost anything. And as I think I think to take this seriously as a real Ford project, we it, it has to be legitimate that they are going to have a, a technical input as well as part fund it. You can't just Otherwise, it's an engine equivalent of the Alfa Romeo Sauber deal. Now, it might not be a, a million miles away from that, but that, that doesn't mean it's not legitimate. It, it, it can work. And, and if Ford, if this shows that it's okay for Ford to basically be a sort of co-creator of an engine, and then we can call that a manufacture pro- project... I'm quite interested in the precedent it might set for what Andretti's trying to get over the line with General Motors because it's not like for like again and there is a huge, huge distinction in that Ford's going to be working with existing teams and boosting existing teams rather than using it as a way to sneak in an extra extra team on the grid which is what some people fear Andretti's trying to do with General Motors. But if you've got it whereby Ford shows that a manufacturer can do F1 by paying a bit of money to say it's an engine supplier, in principle, I do not see how you can argue that General Motors can't pay a bit of money to have an F1 team with Andretti. I I, I see them as as broadly similar. And the I think the big thing that this has shown to me is reinforced what Andretti needs to do or what Andretti needs to prove that, Andre, uh, that Cadillac and General Motors will be putting into their project. I don't think you need to... I don't think they need to show that it's a, you know, equal parts venture or General Motors is putting up a hundred million dollars a year or anything like that. I think they, I think they just need to tick the same boxes as Ford and just say it's a proper manufacturer. There's a clear plan to 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 push themselves in the U.S. and maximize the profile and help F1 in the U.S. Um, there's a decent amount of money being put in. And somewhere down the line, there is potential for there to be legitimate input in what you're creating. On Ford's side, it's supposedly going to be on the ERS and the battery and, and whatnot. With Cadillac General Motors, it could be on the composition of the race team or you know the technology they use to build their cars or whatever. I, I don't really believe that they'll be able to influence the Renault 2026 power unit like they've, they've claimed and have IP in it. But there will be other ways in which I'm sure that they can influence that team. So if Cadillac... And General Motors can tick those boxes in the same way Ford has. That's another way, another different way for a manufacturer to come into F1. And that's a great way for F1 to capitalise on the interest and the cost effectiveness of the, the regulations and the, the landscape and everything. Because it, it means that manufacturers and interested parties don't have to stump up hundreds and hundreds of millions just to completely outright own an F1 team and build an engine. There's lots of ways to have a bunch of strong teams on the grid with different kinds of manufacturer support. And ultimately, the days when manufacturers could really directly run their own in-house F1 teams are long gone. You can see that. Use the example of Mercedes. Obviously, Mercedes is a specialist race team. And really, Bricksworth is a specialist engineering company that Mercedes acquired and built up. 
So these are absolutely specialists. It's nothing like it was in the 50s when they did the W196, and that was actually done in Stuttgart. Things have changed so much, you do need this specialism. So this kind of involvement gives the prestige and the badges and the big car companies, because this means F1's got a good number of the, the biggest car companies in the world, either in or interested in the case of General Motors. So that, that's, a, that's a good positive. And the very fact that Stefano Domenicali was on uh, Fox, I forgot what show it was this morning, Scott. You, uh, you're on top of that. Fox and you? Friends, I think. But yeah, that just shows the fact that Ford is coming into Formula One is big news for people who aren't necessarily interested in Formula One. That's very positive. It's just a little bit of a shame that when Domenicali was introduced at the Red Bull launch, which I believe was running a little bit late, he wasn't actually there because he'd had to head off because of his schedule and they were running behind. It wasn't a good day for Stefano Domenicali being introduced because when he was on the Fox show, they completely butchered his surname. Uh, I think he was announced as like, oh, um, Stefano Domencilli or something like that. (laughs) Well, hopefully if F1 keeps growing in the US, they'll know his name properly soon enough. Right, well, Scott, let's get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of this deal. We have touched on this, but... Where exactly does the Red Bull Ford Alliance, and we should say the engine will be called Red Bull Ford, lie on a manufacturer spectrum of, say, Alfa Romeo-style sponsorship deal with Sauber through to the all-in works operation? Where does it sit? Oh, it's really difficult to, to, to know because I, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and, and believe that that... Um, hybrid element input is legitimate but as mark said you do have to take it with a pinch of salt so i would say on that spectrum it is closer to the sauber alfa romeo um sort of tie up than it is a fully fledged works entry but i i i, I do believe that a manufacturer like ford with all the different things that they're involved in in motorsport while they they do have a history of being slightly hands off of the way they let things go i can't believe that they would pay if it's what 30 million or whatever it ends up being i can't believe they would pay that and have their their name on something and not want to have some kind of influence over what the the end product is they're going to want to do everything they can to make sure it's successful so that might be as simple as uh, opening up a few of their facilities or i think the suggestion that we heard was that um ford intends to have Ford performance employees embedded full-time in Milton Keynes, working at Rebel Powertrain, stuff stuff like that. Um, so I, I believe there will be an involvement. Can I say with certainty that it will be 1% of the Rebel Powertrains or 20% or as much as half? I've honestly got no idea, but I think it's more than zero, if that's anything... <laughs> Yeah, they did also talk about getting involved on the control software side for the the hybrid as well and some of the analysis tools, etc. It's it's a difficult one to say because what you definitely don't want as Red Bull is Ford forcing their way into doing stuff. Gary Anderson's got some great stories about Ford doing this back in the day with Jaguar. They wanted to get involved in things they weren't really set up to do and didn't have the specialism for. But I guess, Mark, that's the important thing, isn't it? You need to go to Red Bull Powertrains and say, right, well, what things that Ford may have would you like some support on? And then they can actually work out meaningful ways for any kind of exchange of, of knowledge or personnel or work to be done in in, in different places off the uh, the Milton Keynes campus. Yeah, well, it's it's set up in a, a better way for that than, than it was um, back in the Jaguar days when the tail was wagging the dog. You know, they, 
the big corporate people who were new to Formula One came in and told the specialists in F1 how to do F1, and of course that didn't work. Um, so the, at least now you're having the big corporate entity um, coming in as a as a sponsor. It's not it's not coming in as as the owner. So it it, it is it is in a a way set up that the the, the nice pure simplicity of a, a top racing team uh, in its structure, especially Red Bull, um, shouldn't be, you know, I'm sure they're not going to let it be um, too, you know, polluted by um, values from a completely different type of industry. That's always a very positive sign for a works manufacturer involved in Formula One. We should note that Ford have said this is an eight-year deal, so that basically starts now with the ramping up towards 2026 and goes through to 2030. So it covers that 2026 to 2030 competition because the full deal will start in terms of on-track stuff in 2026. Scott, one small point of order. What about AlphaTauri? They're covered as well. So the plan is for AlphaTauri to be supplied by these Red Bull Ford engines from 2026 until 2020, uh, 2030, until 2030. Um, the only caveat I would put on that is, while there's no outward sign of Red Bull wanting to sell AlphaTauri, I think, I think given the potential for more manufacturers to come into Formula One, we'll get onto this later, but Honda, for example, are still registered for the 2026 power unit regulations and may yet decide to do something. When you have people like Andretti sniffing around and not being able to get a new entry, when you've got Porsche as well still looking to do something, I just, I don't think I'll ever be fully convinced that Red Bull won't be willing to sell AlphaTauri at some point in the next few years because I think it's a massive, massive asset. And in a sort of post-Dietrich Matichitz era, I just, I do wonder if that team's future is sort of ring-fenced in the short, medium term, but longer term, could be sold. And obviously if that did happen, and especially if they partnered with another manufacturer, I don't think they'd want to use a Ford engine. So that's the only, I'd put that little asterisk against AlphaTauri just in the long term. Yeah, it just comes down to the rising value of F1 teams and whether Red Bull might be making an offer it can't refuse for that team with some of the valuations that are being thrown around a really motivated buyer. You absolutely never know what might happen with that. But positive for, for AlphaTauri and for Red Bull, obviously, with AlphaTauri, they've pushed the synergy, as they call it, in terms of parts and components, etc., trying to make sure they maximise that. So it always makes sense those two teams, while they're Red Bull-owned, will have parity in terms of engines that one year when obviously Toro Rosso ran the Honda engine after McLaren as kind of an advanced evaluation party as it were for Red Bull was uh, an unusual set of circumstances but Mark you pointed out in a written piece that ran on the race that this deal has a few distant similarities with the one that led to the all-conquering Ford Cosworth DFE engine of course that's the main reason why Ford's the manufacturer with the fourth most F1 wins given remarkable success for that engine and its derivatives do you think Red Bull has got exactly the right distance to Ford on this one cash in and tech if it needs it but not much interference and is that DFV model irrelevant one to cite or is it just because it's Ford and F1 we inevitably reach for it yeah I think it's more that I, I don't it's, it's not it's not the same but it it, it, it has to say history doesn't re- repeat but it sometimes rhymes and it's more that and because um, that was just uh that was Lotus going to Cosworth and saying how much to make us a state-of-the-art F1 engine. Cosworth saying, 
100 grand and Lotus going off to find the 100 grand and they got it from Ford of Britain. So Ford of Britain said, well, if we're paying the money, we'll have the name on the engine. And then because it was so much better than everything else and they realized that it was probably going to kill F1 if they just kept their exclusive deal, they just made it available to everyone. And that a whole new era of Formula One kicked off that lasted for oh, decade and a half or more and uh, was, you know, put the really solid foundations of F1 down and that, that was that was the, the, the foundation that Bernie Eccleston was able to, to build upon. It was all built upon the foundation of that um, Ford Cosworth DFE. And, and it, where it's similar is that that wasn't actually Ford technology, although the Formula 2 engine that the Formula 1 engine was based upon was originally built around the hardware of a Ford production engine, but it, it, there was no direct Ford uh, technology going into that. It was purely Cosworth, which is a specialist engineering company, just as Red Bull Powertrains is. So there's a little bit of a, a parallel there, but it's not It's it's not going to be any, that, that model. And it's not, you know, you're not going to be able you're not going to have Red Bull selling selling this engine to anyone to, 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 to run. Um, you know, I'm sure Red Bull would be quite happy with that, but I'm sure Ford paying the money wouldn't be so. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 got certain parallels, and it it also, I think it says that the the way Ford has always done F one, which is um, until its disastrous acquisition of the Stewart team and making it into Jaguar, it had all its successful endeavors in Formula One, let's say, have always been in partnership rather than um, ownership, and uh, I think that's you know it's probably um, a good a good point. Yeah, it's a great irony that although Ford has been so profoundly important in shaping Formula One through that engine, I think Ford has only won two Grand Prix when it's actually owned part of the the project. That was one win for Stewart and obviously it's owned Cosworth at that time and then one win for Jordan when it was a Ford customer team in 2003. Both Gary Anderson related ones, funnily enough. But yeah, it's, it's just a curious thing that that's worked so well for Ford and perhaps that's a good omen for the future. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, Scott, you briefly mentioned Honda. So this deal categorically means Honda will not be involved with Red Bull beyond the end of 2025. It has signed up for the 2026 engine rule. So what's the most likely path for Honda from here? 
Yeah, um, I, this is not to say that what you just said is wrong, but the, the they've reg. I think the better way to put it is that they've registered their interest in the 2026 rules, and it was it was strange seeing how the FIA actually characterised that today because they did seem it did say that these manufacturers will compete from 2026 to or participate from 2026 to 2030, but it's not a binding agreement just because you've registered that interest it just means you made it in time for the deadline and you can be factored into planning for 2026 you can be involved in the regulatory discussions blah 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 but it it's no binding commitment so honda's not obligated now to race in in formula one just because the fia has them on a list of registered in, interested parties um what it means is that as we i think we've talked about before and, and as was made clear at the end of last year honda is taking the prospect of a 2026 project very seriously and it has done everything it needs to do in terms of ticking boxes to basically be able to crack on with one of those projects when it makes its mind up but it hasn't as i understand it there there is still no final decision from honda to um, participate in formula one beyond 2025 when this continuation deal with red bull and alpha tower to supply them with engines comes to an end what we need to know now from honda is do they have time to do the project the way they want? And how exactly do they envisage it working? If they decide to build an engine, they need a team. So you've now lost your best partner because it was the one that you were already working with and was doing really well with. Um, is there another team on the grid that would want to go with them? I think there is. I've, I've heard of, I've heard that at least one non-Red Bull team has made an initial contact with um with honda just to sort of see what they're up to for 2026 i i I'd be re- i don't think that honda will try and enter a works team so i don't think they'll be part of this expressions of interest to the fia um so i think their options are fairly limited and like i say they still need to decide what one of the one of the problems is that they are short on time because I, i've written about this quite a lot but it does feel like something that a lot of people overlook just because Red Bull are continuing to, you know, assemble, maintain, look after the Red Bull engines or the two Red Bull teams' engines, it doesn't mean that they actually have like a fully functional F1 operation. You know, as I understand it, Sakura has been gutted over the last sort of year or so. Um, the original reason for withdrawing from F1 at the end of 2021 officially was for Honda to redirect resources to their zero emissions project as part of their you know, carbon neutrality goals as an automotive company. Um, and that included personnel as well as money. Um, so I don't think Sakura is as well stocked for F1 sort of caliber engineers as as it needs to be. There are other elements as well, like they they had a facility in the UK that was manufacturing the ERS, uh, but that was based not given, but I think it was sold to Red Bull to be absorbed into Red Bull powertrains. So Honda don't have that facility, so they need to work out a way to manufacture an ERS. Um, and now, because we're into 2023, anything they do is subject to the cost cap rules for engine manufacturers for 2026. So they've got a limit to what they can spend on capital expenditure and that kind of thing. So it's not simple for F- for Honda to get an en- engine ready and to be on the grid in some way in, in 2026. I think it's still possible, but I don't think it's very likely. And I've been rambling for a while, but my, my final point would be it's so frustratingly Honda for them to be in a completely self-inflicted position like this where they forced their best engine their best partner into a long-term plan that excludes Honda and that another manufacturer will benefit from all of this 
is because of Honda's own actions. So you talk about Red Bull, uh, you talk about Ford would have um, saved themselves a load of aggro or Red Bull would have saved themselves a load of aggro if there could have been a nice little deal back in 2004 for it all to just be one big shiny project, Red Bull and Cosworth. Um, Honda would just have solved so much aggro for themselves if they'd just been patient in 2020, not panicked in response to their lack of preparation around new technologies, not panicked in response to the, 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 the pandemic. If they'd just been patient, they would have ridden that out, realised how much success they were going to have, and then stayed in F1 with Red Bull long-term. And instead, you've got Red Bull announcing the perfect, perfect engine deal for them, really, at a time where Honda has no idea if it'll be on the grid in 26 or not. Almost like what happened at the end of 2008, where if they'd just been patient, would have had a world championship the following year, and um, with it, that team was a, went on to break all the records. I, I, what could, what, what's the common denominator here? What could it possibly be? It's just history rhyming again, isn't it? To come back to what Mark was saying uh, saying earlier. But yeah, I can imagine Honda will be very tempting for anyone who needs an engine partner. There's a few obvious teams who I imagine will be lobbying with them. But I guess we should just ask, Scott, why don't you think Red Bull and Honda ended up considering? Because there was talk about that. And there was a point where it looked like that was the most likely course of action. So one point is something that Mark mentioned earlier, which I think is spot on. The Red Bull can't hang around forever. I don't think Honda has made a decision and I don't think Red Bull really liked that uncertainty. And I wonder if what, you know, what I was saying about how ready can Honda actually be for 26, what quality of work can be expected of them if they've, if they've reduced their capacity uh, in Japan. I wonder if that maybe put a bit of a doubt in Rebels' mind. Um, there were talks last year, definitely. It was on the agenda when they met in Japan around the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, that was in, what, September, October time. So I I think there would have been a little bit of a push factor away from Honda. And I think there was a pull factor towards Ford because it just ticked the boxes in the way that Honda didn't. And I... I think there is also the possibility that Honda itself wasn't convinced that a Rebel Powertrains collaboration worked because it would only have been on the hybrid side. You know, Rebel Powertrains was tooled up. There was a load of money spent for it to be able to build the V6 and do some other stuff, but primarily the V6. So I don't think Rebel would have budged on that. And I don't think that would have been enough for Honda when Sakura's expertise is in combustion. Uh, it is that that's the technology that their, their ace is at. And obviously hybrid stuff battery would fit in with their zero emissions target but it's just a bit more of a limited involvement there's a possibility that that didn't really appeal to honda well mark we should briefly talk about the fact the fi did announce the six manufacturers had signed up for 2026 to 2030 power units rules obviously they wanted to get on the back of the red bull ford announcement and and shout about the interest in f1 the others are obviously alpine ferrari mercedes audi honda Porsche is obviously conspicuous by its absence when it comes to this. So what should we take from that? Um, just that it is not in a position to to do anything really at the moment. That uh, doesn't mean that it can't come in. Um, in I think to the strict letter of the regulations, it means they don't have an input into forming the regulations. But I think even that is, is not a, a hard set rule if you had it agreement from the others. So it doesn't mean that we're definitely not going to see them just because they're not on this list. But at the moment, there's not a r really obvious way for them 
to come in in a satisfactory way. They, they, they don't have time to create their own power unit. Um, you, th- you would think the logical thing would be to take the in-house power unit from Audi and rename it, which they, they, there's nothing stopping them from doing that in terms of the Formula One regulations, as long as they um, that, that power unit is uh, still subject to one cost cap, not two. Two lots of, uh, of of expenditure permitted on development, um, but what is the way? And uh, do they do they do they buy an existing team? Well, there's, there's, a, there's only a couple of them around that, that that would be potentially up for sale at the moment. Um, they're very very high value, and where we you know would put it would certainly put them behind their um, their, their their group. Uh, the, the sister company Audi, in terms of where the starting point was, and that, given that Porsche is nominally nominally the more prestigious of the two brands, Porsche and Audi, it, it's probably a difficult thing for them to wear to 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 start, you know, several steps behind their their stablemate, and so yeah, it's, it's fraught with difficulty. The 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 the, the route to Formula to, to Porsche coming into Formula One. Um, just through circumstance and the way the way that it's all panned out, but I I I, I wouldn't say we're definitely not going to see them. I think um, that there's still a will from them to to find a way in, but it, it's it's very difficult to see what that would be at the moment. I just just you know things things change very quickly. And it'd be very naive, as you say, to imagine that if Porsche suddenly said, "Right, we're going to do something," the FIA and F1 would say, "No, nope, you can't do it. It's too late. That's just not how it how it works." So the door is pretty much open for as long as they need it to be but yeah since that red bull thing fell over it's it's hard to see porsche finding a way to do it certainly without using the audi engine and that raises all the complexities you mentioned mark well well i i think that the um i i think that the only way that porsche can come in now is um if it focuses on on being the team and 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 there is just a sort of an element of neutrality on the engine side in that the VW group says we want this to happen. So Audi, you have to supply Porsche. Porsche, you have to take it from Audi. And Porsche just buys into to Williams. I, I, I still think that, I mean, you, you need Doralton to probably lower the amount that they'd be asking for. And Doralton says it's not actively looking to sell the team, but it would be a huge project for, for Porsche because clearly there are problems there, um, quite deep-rooted problems at, at, at Williams. But... If you look at the other options on the grid, like McLaren, for example, they, they don't want to sell a stake in the team. Um, certainly not a stake that would give a manufacturer like that um, authority and the overriding authority. So then what else is there? I don't really see that there's anyone other than Williams that would really work. So Porsche's best bet now might be to to go down that route and just work out what needs to be done to make the most competitive team prob- possible and not really worry about the engine side. But I don't know how that really matches with the ambitions of a manufacturer that clearly wants to have technological input and um, uh, be able to put something like a hybrid engine project in the same way that they're in Formula E at the center of what they're doing and, and be able to show off that they're a forward thinking brand and company at the cutting edge of incredible technology. So they're going to have to sacrifice something, aren't they? If they want to get on the grid, I, I, I don't see how Porsche can come into F1 now on its own terms. 
Again, it would seem very, very odd if they were to do anything that wasn't involving doing what seemed to be their own engine. At least Red Bull, with its powertrains division, offered that possibility for it to be badged Porsche, which would have had an effect, especially with an ownership stake. But yeah, not many opportunities for them there. But I guess we should circle back round to Red Bull, Mark, because we've said how great all of this is. They've got Ford. They've invested heavily in setting up the powertrains company. Actually, technically, it's two companies because there's Red Bull Powertrains and there's Red Bull Powertrains 2026. So I think they've split them to make it nice and easy to tell the difference between the current program and the 2026 one, which makes sense from uh, accounting and cost cap measures. But that's still a big ask. We're all assuming Red Bull will get it right because Red Bull does get it right. They've invested heavily. Loads of good people there. All the best kit. But we shouldn't lose sight of how big an ask this is. Just because Red Bull engines have won 17 Grand Prix or whatever, they're Honda engines. Honda's going to be gone. They might have been a bit more of a comfort blanket effect if they continued with Honda because Honda had a bit more expertise, current F1 expertise to feed into it. But now it's thoroughly on its own, isn't it? So big test. It is a big test. It's it's no small thing to go from a standing start to um, making competitive Grand Prix engines. The only thing I'd say is that a lot of the people they've recruited are very, very experienced at creating these sort of engines. So, it's in a in a sense, it's almost just like making a, a team a teamwork and just getting the, the 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 talent that you've got. We're all working in the in the getting them aligned and working in the same direction. So, I, I, it's not like they're taking a load of sort of virgin engineers and saying, "Okay, create an F one engine, go." It, it, they, they, they've, they've taken on a lot of, um, they've recruited a very lot, a lot of very, very experienced people. Yeah, you'd expect it to go well, but it's just one of those things that makes me wonder, Scott. That if obviously if it starts off badly, Ford's going to be putting pressure on as well because it's going to be Ford on the on the cam cover. Yeah, it'll be Red Bull Ford, but people are going to be talking about it as a Ford engine. So even though there's lots of good upside there for not much investment for Ford, there is also downside because if engines start blowing up, they're not very good, and you have kind of I don't know, Max Verstappen yelling about a GP2 engine to uh, to invoke an old Alonso quote. It could be quite embarrassing, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But that, that just comes back to what I was saying earlier. What, I, I can't imagine that a manufacturer like Ford would would allow um, or, or would be willing to put its name to something and then allow itself to be completely at the mercy of, of that organisation. It will want to have the possibility to at least influence it in in some way, the the only way that would be incorrect for me to view it that way is if Ford is so naive that they think that they can just throw this money at it as a sponsorship deal because they just consider Rebel Powertrains to be a sure thing in terms of competitiveness. But I, I can't imagine that that I, that is actually the case. So um, no, if it's not successful, Ford will obviously want um, they'll want answers and they'll want to be able to change that as soon as possible. But I, I think that just increases the likelihood that Ford will throw everything that realistically they can to help Red Bull powertrains make the most competitive engine possible. Yeah, and I think it's likely to go well as long as they do the powertrains project a little bit better than they run their launches. They should be absolutely fine. Uh, well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. If you enjoyed listening to us we have got our first live podcast in london on february the 12th check the link in the description as there's tickets still available there there's a a special offer available for anyone who wants to come along do head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there and also have a look at our various podcasts including bring back v10s our indycar podcast formula e etc and also check out our youtube channel 
Our next podcast will be about the season launch Williams is holding on Monday. Again, that won't be a new car, but hopefully they'll have the decency to be honest about it. So stay with us for everything you need to know from Williams. The Athletic.